Hello, friends. I'm JP. And I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Broken But Beautiful podcast, where we talk about why church is still worth it. JP, how are you? Man, I'm great. I had the wonderful privilege of JP making me a homemade peach milkshake <laughs> last night. The fresh peaches, the excellent bluebell ice cream, just... I drank it too quickly. I probably should have enjoyed it (laughs) for a lot longer. (laughs) Well, the Bluebell ice cream made your Texan wife very happy, I think. (laughs) You got to have the Bluebell. And I've been looking forward to this episode. You know, Drew and I, we've talked about this, a common narrative that we run into, um, a common conversation topic is someone in their 20s, maybe 30s, who they were part of a church growing up. They experienced a season where they were not a part of a church. And now they're thinking about going back. But there there are things they want to go back to, and there are things they don't want to go mm, back to. Yeah. And so, am I going to go back, and how do I go back, and negotiating that is really hard. And how do I pick what to go back to, and what to leave behind? Yeah, it's a, it's a long, confusing, sometimes painful journey. So, tell us about your friend, Tom, who we're going to hear an interview from and I, I've loved this interview, and I'm really excited. Tell me about how you know Tom and what some of his story is that didn't get told in our interview. Well, this is why I chose Tom. Drew, I don't know if you're the same way, but sometimes I get wrapped up in my own issues, <laughs> and I get bogged down in my own stuff, specifically living in Nashville and the Bible Belt and all the stuff's going on uh, with that, the heaviness of it sometimes. And sometimes it's helpful for me to just get completely out of that zone, get completely out of that area and talk to someone who is similar, but yet very different and say, how have you wrestled with these things? So Tom's a buddy of mine that lives in upstate New York and he's Catholic. And so we're different in a lot of ways, but we're, we're similar in a lot of ways. And he has gone through the journey of what we wanted to talk about today. He was part of the Catholic church growing up. He was distant from it for a season And now he's back, but he's back in a different way than how it might have been growing up. So I first met Tom in my early mid-20s. He went to the University of Connecticut for grad school um, along with my wife. His girlfriend, now wife, was in that program as well. Tom now is a palliative care doctor, and and we were all good friends. And when he tells his story, okay, he's going to talk about a season of, as he phrased it, unreflective agnosticism but then starting to consider going back. And I, I knew him during that time period. That, that's when we were hanging out all the time and having lots of conversations and having conversations about the Christian faith, about Jesus, the Bible, the differences between the Protestant tradition, the Catholic tradition, all these different things. And it was a really rich season um, for three or four years. They visited our church some, the church where I was a minister. But for three or four years, they were part of a small group that we did on Thursday nights. We creatively called it the Thursday night group, Drew. A lot of creativity there. But we met together to pray and read the Bible. And so for several years, I was sharing and praying weekly with Tom as for any of us had kids. We're in our 20s, and it was a really rich time. And so a lot of things he's going to talk about today, like I saw him process. And it was at the time when we were all reeling with the Catholic priest abuse scandal. And we were also realizing that Protestants had done a lot of bad things too. 
but there were just a lot of things in the air but yet he was processing what it would look like to go back and i kind of got a front row seat on that experience for him so i imagine that a lot of our listeners are obviously not catholic and come from different different traditions and yet i think there's a lot we can learn because it doesn't have the same level of emotion because it's different but talking to someone in a different path but yet similar experiences i think there's a lot we can learn from this conversation i'm really excited about it our listeners are going to hear themes about remembering things as they were but not necessarily having to go back to everything that they've experienced earlier in their life or earlier in their walk of faith. We're going to hear a little bit about community. We're going to hear a little bit about the church and how the church hasn't always been perfect. And we're going to hear some about the value of that community. And I'm really excited for our listeners. So let's listen to JP and Tom as they get into their interview. great to see you. Hi, JP. Thanks for so much for having me. This is, this is great. Well, I'm really honored you would join us for this. Why don't we start off, if you just kind of tell us about your spiritual background, kind of your religious upbringing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm in central New York, which uh, is about five hours away from New York City, which I always have to tell people whenever they're not from this area. So yeah, so I grew up near Syracuse, New York, just to the east of there. And um, I grew up Catholic. I was born, you know, baptized as an infant and, in you know, grew up Catholic. But my, my dad's family's Catholic. My mom's family is Methodist, kind of traditional Methodist with, you know, all the liturgy and everything that went along with that. Um, and then when I was, I don't know, geez, she's probably going to, I can't even tell you what year it was, but that was maybe before I was a teenager, she converted to Catholicism. And, you know, our, my experience growing up in the, in the church was looking back on it now, it was like kind of what I might say is like the bare bones, I guess. Like okay. we went to mass every Sunday. But man, I, I couldn't, I didn't even know that there were like saints feast days. I, I knew how to pray the rosary, but I didn't know that there were mysteries of the rosary, right? Like I, I just didn't know anything. It was, looking back, it was amazing. And at the same time, the, the sort of habit, if you will, of going to church and the home life, you know, which was not explicitly, you know, uh, you know, ca- hardcore Catholic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but it was certainly based on that. I think um, the morality and everything behind that really set the stage for, I think, where I am today, which is I'm, I'm extremely grateful for. Um, and it's, it's interesting, my, my wife and I reflect on this frequently, that what we're doing with our kids is dramatically different than what I did as a kid. Um, and, and thank God for what I did as a kid, you know, because yeah. without it, I, I don't know where I'd be today. So you had, you, you described it as bare bones, and yet mostly positive memories. So you associated positive memories with church growing up? Yeah, totally. You know, I, I, it's funny, I, I still have, you know, we all have these memories of like, smells and sights mm-hmm. and sounds um, but I can still just just picture as, as we're sitting here talking about it our little church that just had the one aisle down the middle it wasn't mm-hmm. the typical catholic church with the aisles down the sides it was so small the really nice ladies in the back with the guitar you know um <laughs> that maybe three or four priests growing up that all smelled like pipe smoke <laughs> I don't know there was something about I don't know what it was about the Bridgeport New York but but I like those those memories are there and, mm-hmm. and yeah they were really they were positive you know we had we had friends there, but yeah, no, I remember having like standing around in the parking lot waiting for my parents to be done talking to whoever it was they were talking to for, you know, 45 minutes. And yeah, no, so there were, there were great, great memories around that. As you got older and you were processing religion more, you were processing faith more. What were some challenging things about church, challenging things about the religious community that you had to work through? Yeah, it's interesting. When I went 
you know, I went to college at Nazareth College. Um, so you might imagine it uh, was religiously affiliated. And once upon a time, it was. Um, but I think I did what turns out to be a really common thing, at least in Catholic circles, and I suspect in others too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to college and things weren't really challenged, but I wasn't like, didn't have the structure of going to yeah. mass. And so I didn't. Um, and, I, and I think I, I turned into what I think was sort of an unreflective agnostic, I guess, if I could, you know, like I didn't choose agnosticism, but I just kind of became almost like a deist, like those, the watchmaker that started it all, but kind of doesn't care, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And so that, that was kind of where I was in college. And then I met my eventual, my now wife, of course, Alicia, and she, you know, just to put it in perspective, had never even been baptized. So she grew up like not going to church. It was never like anti-church, but her mother, I think, decided that her, she'd let them, her kids decide when they grew up, you know? So then we both ended up going to Connecticut and uh, after college, and then we started going to mass more regularly at that point. And then eventually Alicia converted and got baptized. She, she did the, the whole thing. We do this uh, on uh, the vigil of the Easter mass. So Saturday night before Easter, she got baptized, first communion and confirmed all in one shot. She kind of got the trifecta. <laughs> Uh, and entered the Catholic Church that night, which was awesome. And it was kind of an anticipation of us getting married. So we ultimately did get married in the Catholic Church. And it's just become this like this truly wonderful journey, experience, growth over the years here since we've been married of really, you know, she came in thinking, I know nothing. I said, I almost know nothing, too. And so we've, we've kind of, you know, learned together. And it, it's been wonderful. And now that we have, you know, the four kids, you know, it, it's really taken on a whole new a whole new meaning and gravity, I guess, trying to think about, you know, how do I... I'm responsible for these, these kids' souls, right? And, and how do I sort of help them become saints someday and, and you know, be where they're supposed to be for all eternity? And that's, that's really kind of where we're at now. I've always thought this about the Catholic Church. So I, I'm part of Churches of Christ, which is much smaller in comparison. And we rarely make the news. <laughs> <laughs> good, good and bad, yes, yes. Yeah, good and bad to that. The Catholic Church makes the news a lot. It's not always, it's not always good, right? I mean, sometimes it is. But it's not always good. So how how have you, I mean, Catholic Church is just so big. How have you just processed, I'm part of something, but yet sometimes things happen that I don't feel great about? Like, like, like what's that like? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's in a sense similar to almost any organization because it, it's human, right? And humans are broken and sinful and everything else. And so there's the, that aspect of, of the church uh, of, uh, is the Council of uh, Trent's catechism puts it, the church militant, right? Those of us that are still on our pilgrimage here on earth and hope someday to become the church triumphant, right? In heaven, that that, the the church, and so I was thinking about this, actually on the way in today, I got, I I had already listened to it once, but I listened to your episode about what is church you and you you were talking about. Um, And so you had some nice, uh, you know, I actually, I liked your sort of formulation of, I think it was uh, meets regularly worship sacraments and accountability with mission or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about that because, yeah, because there's the, there's the human brokenness aspect to it. And then there's the thing that I think C.S. Lewis describes in the Screwtape letters. Screwtape s- says to his nephew, the humans don't see the church like we see it, standing astride time and space for all eternity or something like that. And that always really hit me. Mm-hmm. There's this perfection, this head and the body. And we, we screwed up all the time. <laughs> and yet at the same time, we're protected by Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, we're protected in some sense. And so, yeah, you know, when things go bad, that's our fault. Mm-hmm. And when they go well, it's not us doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so when things go badly, I think, but that's part of what helps me kind of cope with it, I guess, to some extent. Um, and also that just some knowledge of history, which is like very small for me. I, this is something I'm really, I read more and more about, but man, it's 2000 years worth of history. 
thought it was hard to study American history <laughs> at times that, right? Um, but really, like, there's never been a, there's never been that golden age, right, where everything was happy and fun and what, like, the Narnian golden age, right, where King, the high King Peter, and it's all wonderful. No, it's, it's never been that way. There have always been, you know, heresies and wars and invasions and everything else. And I think ultimately, the, the good news for me is that saints, both canonized and uncanonized, but people have gone to heaven, larger or smaller numbers, I don't know, but certainly there have been people who've been very successful in their faith, if you will, in all of those periods of time, whether the church was in ascendancy or whether the church was in contraction and under all kinds of pressure. So really just that faith that, you know, that Jesus told us that the, the church will not fail, right? The, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So I, I have that, that reassurance, you know, and then, yeah, the rest of it's ugly and bad and, and all that. And I think that, you know, we can point to all sorts of reasons why a particular scandal or whatever, but um, yeah, no, I, I think I, I take a lot of comfort in the fact that it is, it, it's not my church. Yeah. It's Christ's church. So I know that that's what helps me anyway. I think that that answers your question. No, it does. It's helpful. You know, I live in the Bible belt. And uh, so you see a lot of different expressions of the Christian faith. You see a lot of energy around the Christian faith, but there's also a fair amount of jadedness and cynicism. Have you encountered that much in your experience of, of kind of the jaded, cynical, I don't know what to do with all this, but yet I'm going to press on, but I'm not exactly happy about it <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I, one of the things that I think people that I, the sort of circles I move in, it's not everybody, of course, but there, there are a couple of handful of individuals I can think were really struggling in that way. And it, and it might be around, uh, you know, leadership locally, like their pastor, the, the priest that's in charge of the church. It might be the bishop. It might be the pope. It might be our bishops, you know, our sort of uh, U.S. bishops interaction with the government, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people that are really struggling with that. Like, I believe in this thing over here. I believe in the Eucharist, right? I believe in the Catholic Church is what she says she is. And yet over here, we've got these people that are leading us in this direction. And I see that that wedge being driven in between that person, and not God per se, but certainly in between that person and what they see as the human manifestations of the church, which for me is really sad to see. And I, I, I really, I, I really um, empathize with that struggle. And, and I hope that they'll be able to find a way, a way around that. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of folks who could come back that haven't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that it certainly overlaps with the folks that are feeling cheated and burned out by whatever it is in the church that's 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 uh, stressed them. JP, I'm grateful for Tom's journey and his ability to reflect on his past but not know that his past is the totality of the story mm-hmm. he talks with some nostalgia mm-hmm. about his upbringing and as i was listening to that i kept thinking it's it's helpful for me to know that i can look back on my past and know that there are good things that happened in the past that don't have to get thrown out mm-hmm. for the sake of all the negative things that I experienced in the past. I think that I, I can feel this temptation sometimes, and I can imagine that there are some of our listeners who feel this way, that because something negative happened in the world of faith, mm-hmm. something that maybe was harmful to them or something that was unhelpful to them, 
we might just be ready to completely disregard our past and say, well, I want nothing to do with that. I'm going to work from here forward and try and build my faith now. But I was encouraged that Tom said, there are things that I look back on positively and know that I don't have to throw those away, that that I can still cling on to some of those things and that I can look back fondly on the things that were helpful for me then, because I think that there are things in our past that have been helpful for us Mm -hmm. that maybe whether we realize it or not, we are holding on to those things that have gotten us to this point. There are some things that were laid in the foundation of early on in our journey that we're probably holding on to Mm -hmm. that maybe we don't realize we're holding on to or we don't realize just how important those things or good those things were for us. And maybe it's helpful to use the lens of a healthy grief process to explain this. So a lot of us, no matter our perspective on faith or our participation in church, a lot of us have various elements of grief from our experience with religion growing up, because as we've said throughout this, Drew, it's never going to be perfect this side of heaven. And so we have this lens of grief and we really struggle to remember the good and the bad simultaneously because they're connected, but yet it's hard. And it reminds me of after my dad had remarried a few years after my first mom had died, Mm -hmm. I came home one day from school and my new mother, my stepmother had put a picture of my first mom up in my room Hmm. and we had taken the pictures down yeah because it was too hard man it was too hard because we're trying to remember the good made us remember the bad so we're like let's just not remember at all right yeah i don't think we said that but like the indirect result is an 11 year old and then when i came in my room and saw she'd put that picture i said this is too hard i can't do it why did you put this up and she said i mean this is what i remember years later if you want to hold on to the good there's going to be some hurt there too and And there's both. There's both a part of the true story. And so I think it's so beautiful that he's in this time period where, you know, in his 20s where he's wrestling if he wants to go back. And there's a lot of hard stuff about the Catholic Church, about all about all churches, you know, um, as we think about going back. And yet he has these memories. And I did I did this with him on Zoom so I could see his face when he's talking about the priest that smelled like cigar smoke. Like he's laughing and smiling and like there's this joy. It's hard for me to relate because it's not my memory, but there was this joy that's coming back to him. And dear people in my life who are no longer participate in church, I know there are memories they want to hold on to. Right. And I guess what I want to say is it's going to hurt to come back. But yet, it's going to be easier to hold on to those good memories. There's a complexity to it. It's almost strange to say that the good memories that were occurring during your time of your greatest pain might be helpful in your journey Mm -hmm. later on because we would want to get rid of any recollection of our times of pain. But sometimes those good, beautiful, helpful things for us, they might sustain us as we're trying to rebuild. And, And it might be helpful for us to remember those things and also look back and go, Maybe they were trying their best. Yeah. You know, maybe they were doing what they knew how to do. I was grateful that what Tom said was, he said, I've returned to this faith, but I'm doing it differently than the way my Mm -hmm. parents did it. That's a really helpful thing to hear that he can reflect back and go, my parents were doing it this way, or, you know, my church was doing it this way. Maybe I understand a little bit why they were trying to do it that way, but I'm going to do it differently now and not look back on those people or those places with just total anger and despisal mm-hmm. of them. It's, you know, they were 
doing the best they knew how to do just because our journey has separated us from those people in places doesn't mean that we have to completely disregard them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think for a lot of us, as we think about going back, there can be this hesitancy that says this church has done this and this was wrong. And if I go back to it, I'm complicit in the evil. Yeah. Or I'm caving. I'm caving. And there's a lot of talks in our day about complicity with evil and well, I don't think we ever want to be complicit with evil. I, I agree with that sentiment. Man, it's never going to be perfect. I'm never going to intentionally do something bad. And if I see something bad, I'm going to speak out against it. But yet, if I'm waiting for an institution or a group of people to be perfect before I join, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Because it's never happened. There was never a golden age. And Drew, I confess, based on my background, I have turned the early church into this pure church that was the Mm, golden age. And there were some good things about it for sure. But I think he's right. I think there was no golden age. And so that should sober our expectations. I can imagine someone listening to this and going, okay, but how could I possibly re-identify with the group that is confessingly imperfect? Like, isn't the goal of faith and spirituality holiness? If I can't find any group that's modeling that, like how could I possibly re-identify with that? I think that's a heavy question Mm. to ask. I think there's a realism to that question, which is helpful. But I, I also want to encourage anybody that's feeling that way to maybe dig a little bit deeper into that realism to, mm-hmm. to say that because we may never find it, maybe that's why we need to be a part of it. And I think he seeks to answer that when he says there, it's not my church, but it's Christ's church. Yeah. He's seeking to model, I think, a Jesus over church. Mm-hmm. Church is important but Jesus over church. And I think when we start thinking about the church more than we think of Jesus. Let's get back into this interview where Tom's going to talk a little bit about what brought you back and what's important about being a part of these circles. So what was it that brought you back to church and not just, you said bare bones as a kid, but what you're doing now from when we've talked and hung out, it's not bare bones. So like, what was it that brought you back to full participation in your church? Well, you know, honestly, I told, I told Alicia this just the other day and I've told many people uh, recently, certainly that if it weren't for me marrying her, I I don't know where I'd be in so many ways, but, but particularly in, in the spiritual realm, you know, I think when we were you know, talking about getting married and, and saying like, you know, what are we going to do about all these various things? I remember having, it was actually a pretty short conversation and it was something like, well, Alicia said, like, well, I'm kind of not anything and you're Catholic and you're not going to change that, you know, so, so it kind of became this thing. And then that was like the prompt, I guess, that kind of got us going back in that, or me going back in that direction. So that, that was the initial kind of impetus, I guess. And then beyond that, it really was starting to really realize like what it is that we're doing there. I think this is not uncommon for, as they say, cradle Catholics, right? That, that we just do it so much. And like, yeah, you go up and you receive communion and you go to mass and you hear the, the, the homily and whatever, but really starting to, to think and reflect about what, what all, all that really means. And this, you know, you talk about the horizontal and vertical aspects mm-hmm. of church, really getting into the vertical aspects and saying, you know, it is, it is from God, which we represent 
in churches where you know, the tabernacle is in the middle of the altar. Uh, we, it's represented as like, this is the center, this is the source, this is everything. And then from that, everything flows. Um, and I think that's really been the helpful thing for me. And I think that, I think, actually, I know our kids are, are sort of picking up on that because uh, even our three-year-old will say funny things like, uh, what did he say the other night? He said, uh, just random, us changing his diaper, right? He said, I like cats, I like dogs, I like mommy, and I like adoration, right? Like, we were <laughs> like, what? You know, like, that was his hierarchy of things. And I'm, I'm glad mommy was near the top of that. But I mean, you know, like, he, he gets this thing. And it's really, it's really phenomenal that they do at that age. Um, but that's kind of been the, I think, the turning point for me, I think, is really recognizing that the, the underlying, like, metaphysical truths that the church is professing. That makes sense. No, it does. How does your how does your church life play out socially? So like you told the stories of what it was like for you to grow up in church. What stories will your kids be telling? Like 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 paint us a picture of what it looks like socially. Yeah. So, you know, the the church growing up was much more. Um, you know, we had our friends at school, many of whom are Catholics who grew up like in Syracuse, which is, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, culturally Catholic. We didn't do that much with our parish, but to the extent that I did anything that you would label as like church related, it was with our parish. Now, I mean, we do things with our parish, Alicia's on parish um, council and and all these other things. Our kids in particular, I think what they'll remember are the families that we get together with Mm -hmm. who are Catholic because they have two things about them, basically. One is that they're Catholic and the other is that they're homeschooling because we homeschool our kids. And that cuts across a pretty wide swath of the diocese, like geographically and therefore across parishes. And so, you know, whereas, I don't know, 50, 100 years ago, everything was based on parish. um, And in part because you couldn't travel, right? Like horse and buggies went pretty slow, but now we can move around easier. And so we we really get together more so based on those characteristics, if you will. And those are the things they'll remember. That's like their peer group is this like age range from about zero to, I don't know, 15, <laughs> where they all get together. And uh, I think those are the things they'll remember. And then, yeah, of course, you know, going to mass and doing the other things that we do around that. So it sounds like it's a, it's a very rich fabric of kind of how your family calendar takes shape. I agree. It's, um, it's, it's nice. We've got the things that we do with the kids in the homeschooling group. And then, you know, Alicia's got her like book club with the Catholic ladies that are, most of them are older, you know, they have kids that have graduated or whatever. You know, and I, I do stuff with the medical guild here, in, you know, here in town. And, you know, so we've got these like different, I guess, circles, if you will, which has been, which has been nice. I mean, if reading your book honestly really gave me interesting and not, for me, novel insight into how you, and I think others, you know, who think similar lines, view the church. And that was really helpful to me just to understand better, like where you're coming from. And to tell you the truth, some of it like pointed out to me areas where we're really lacking in at least my experience of the Catholic church, you know, that the intergenerational thing that happens, like it, it doesn't, we're there in the pews, but there, even pre-COVID, there wasn't that much of that, sadly, you know, which is, which is too bad. And so it just sort of gives us something to work towards, I think, just seeing that, that part of the example that, that you had, which I really enjoyed. There's a lot there. And it's, um, I like how you said there was no golden age because, you know, in the book, <clears throat> when I wanted to talk about the positives of church, I brought out all the best examples I've seen in my life but none of those happen simultaneously, <laughs> right? So uh, it wasn't all at one specific church. And so, yeah, there's, there's no golden age. And yet, even when it's imperfect, there's, I find, a type of stability that comes with spiritual community. 
that I can't, um, I can't imagine my life without spiritual community because of that. It's so important. Because um, like, like you say, you know, the, the uh, civic groups or whatever people can get together with, they, they serve a purpose and they're wonderful and you know, involved in a few of them at least. But yeah, there, there is something fundamentally different when, when you get together and you can talk about religion. I mean, with, without it, I really feel for folks who don't have it and don't even realize that they're missing. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a tough spot to be in. And I think just leads to so many problems that I see in the office, right? As a, as a primary care doctor, I mean, man, oh man, people come to me and they've got a lot of, uh, a lot of anxiety or whatever it might be. And it's not all around religion, right? But, but I do think that that is something that's missing from a lot of, a lot of folks' lives. I think. JP, you, you asked him the question of what brought him back. And and I heard Tom name two things that were really helpful for him in coming back. One is that the church professes these underlying metaphysical truths. Big words. But when I hear that, I basically hear him saying that the church professes these things that are true about life that I know that I need to cling on to. And to be reminded of those truths was really helpful. So that's the first thing that brought him back. The second thing was that there's a community around him. And that community provides some sort of stability for him. So what are your thoughts on those two things? Yeah, I do see in his journey, he wanted to find that metaphysical anchor. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what is the main thing? I mean, I think in American culture... This is what our 20s is for a lot of us. And I'm not saying that never goes away. I have elements of that in my 40s. But we want to find that number one anchor, that metaphysical anchor, whatever it is. And when we find that, then everything else falls back into its place. So he's, he's talking about this experience with communion, which, by the way, there are many reasons I'm not Catholic. But one of the things that Tom and I have in common is we, we can't talk very long about our faith without talking about communion. Mm. <laughs> because that's the main part of a worship gathering. Yeah, It's not the sermon. It's not the music, it's not the singing, it's communion. And he's talking about this experience with communion where he he realizes this is everything. Mm-hmm. And from that, everything flows. Yeah. And I think once you get there, I think I'd answer it the same way. Why have I stayed? Because mm-hmm. I get asked that a lot and I think about it a lot. Yeah. Why have I stayed? Specifically from friends that I grew up with and we get together and we talk about you know, it wasn't the priest that smelled like cigar smoke, but it was the bubblegum guy at church and it was running around and drinking Kool-Aid at the ice cream social. And we have those shared memories and some stayed and some didn't. Here's why I stayed. This is everything. And from this everything, everything else flows. And it was that sense of that this is the underlying number one. And if, if Jesus is that number one, then what does it look like to work that out socially? Yeah. And that's where Tom went with it. Like to work it out socially, it's it's this lifestyle that you interact with other people doing it. So I think for those who are asking themselves that question, what might bring me back or why should I stay? JP and I think it would be really helpful to name out loud what it is you want to return to and what you don't want to return to. Yeah. Again, like Tom said, he returned to faith, but he's doing it differently than his parents did. So I'm sure that he had his girlfriend, now wife, to talk through some of those things with, saying, here's what I experienced growing up. Mm -hmm. Here's what was helpful 
about that time period and here's what I want to return to with that but also here are the things that I don't want to return to I think having conversation partners like that whether they're romantic partners or just good friends or a, a minister or pastor in the area just to have those conversations with people I think to verbalize those things out loud is really helpful yeah because if I were to ask him about some of the worst ways the Catholic Church has made the news and say are you returning to that he would say no I'm not returning to that right I'm returning to this. Similarly, if you were to ask me the worst ways, the worst things about the reputation of churches of Christ, Mm -hmm. I would say, no, I'm not staying in that. I'm not returning to that, but I'm returning to this. And I would point to the good stuff, like the things that that keep me going. And I think that conversation partner, don't do this alone. Right. (laughs) You don't want to do this journey alone because there's too much space for cynicism and despair. And so that conversation partner may be a friend. It may be someone you're dating or even married to, but it's a delicate walk. Don't do it alone. JP, I'm grateful to have you to talk through these things with to our listeners. I will speak for JP. If you need somebody to reach out to, to talk about these things with, and maybe don't have anyone, we'd be glad to talk to you. We're not saying we'll have all the answers, but we'd be glad to walk the journey with you. So, JP, thanks for bringing on Tom. Thanks for listening.